The following show contains adult content. It's not our intent to offend anyone, but we want to inform you that if you are a child under the age of 18 or get offended easily, this next show may not be for you. The content, opinions, and subject matter of these shows are solely the choice of your show hosts and their guests, and not those of the Entertainment Network or any affiliated stations. Any comments or inquiries should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for listening. Hey ho, hello, hello. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell, bringing you the good times in music, fashion, pop culture, and entertainment. We got a super fun show for you guys today. Uh, before we get started, let's first say hi to my cool, outrageous man about town co-host, Mr. Ron Russell. I'm very busy making out with my doggy. Give me a kiss, your Astro. Mm. <laughs> I never, never do anything if he's kissing me. I stop immediately. There's nothing like the love that you get from a pet. For those of you out there, if you're lonely, if you're alone, rescue a pet. They'll make your life just Oh my God, he loves his dog so much. I love my little boy. I love him so much. He's brought such joy and happiness into my life. Haven't you, Astro? Yes, my sweet. (laughs) He likes a a tongue kiss. I don't know how we learned that, maybe from Jimmy. Anyway, you guys, we have a really fun show for you today. We have uh, writer, actress, and producer Jamie Bernadette coming on, who we met several years ago out here uh, at one of her movie premieres. And then we have Karen Whelan coming on, who's a psychotherapist, and we met her at the Rhonda Swan party in, in Bel Air. And uh, she should be a lot of fun, too. We got a chat room starting to fill up. What's up, chat room? Let's say hi to Hub Reynolds Jr., B. Claudia's in Germany, Teresa Sabin's in Florida. Um, hold on. I got to see who else is in there. Uh, uh, Ian is in there. I think he's in Colorado. Uh, I have to go back up to the top. Ian Smith is in there. Teresa's in there. I don't know. Uh, ADS, who I don't know who that is, but they say they're looking forward to Karen Whelan. Um, I don't know if they're even in there still right now, but we're going to have a really fun show today. Before uh, before we get started, let's talk a little bit about what's going on because Ron shot his little role in Clowny. On Saturday, it's not a little role. It was actually a really good role. He did it phenomenally well in it. Ugh, little role. I didn't mean it like that. I, I, it was our scene. We were in the Christmas section of the movie, and I played the husband to Dawn Heisinger. Uh, Donnelly Heising. Heising. It was a fun shoot. I knew my lines. We got there. I was happy that Joe Kelly, for my sake, did a rehearsal. And all the actors thought, my God, that's wonderful, because they never rehearsed. And suddenly, everybody was enjoying the rehearsal. We got to uh, fine-tune our lines and make them fit the character. And we all talked about what we wanted to do. And then when we shot it, it went beautifully. And I think that when you see the movie, our section of the movie, which is the Christmas section, I think will be better than the rest, because it was done the way... uh, Things were done years ago in old Hollywood. And you professionally, play, you perform with Donnelly Heising and Mark Hoadley, both right. who have been on the show. Right. 
So well, it's all fun. Fine actors, fine actors. Why is it always and then you guys, my microphone? I don't know. And then you guys, last night, if you guys have Tubi, we watched a really cute movie with Joan uh, Plowright right. and Rupert Friend, and it was called Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont. And it's a very like good, feel-good movie. Um, it was very enjoyable. Sweet movie. Yeah, sweet movie. Like one that anybody could watch. Yeah. Um, but we liked it a lot. There's no violence, no blood, no guts, no cursing, no anything. Just it was a really human a lot interest of fun. story. A, a very sweet, kind, loving human interest. A feel-good movie. A human interest movie. We have to make more of those. We have too much gun shooting, too much violence. The young people are growing up now with the desire to get uh, guns and shoot each other because they think it's okay. They have heroes now in movies that are blowing up people, killing people, chopping up people. You cannot send that signal out to every kid. Because when I was young, you know, it was, it was uh, Batman and Howdy Doody and Flash Gordon, they were the people that taught us who to be today. They were, we were influenced by all of the movies that we saw. And then when television, of course, came about, what television taught us. So I can honestly tell you that these films of violence, constant violence, every we go to we have a television that has everything on it that you could possibly get. And we go through hours of selecting because each movie is about rape, killing, sex, homosexuality. They're all the same. Wait, I'm speaking rudeness. I'm going to hit you with They're the mic. They're all the same, though. You want to get hit with the mic? I'll give you a black <laughs> I'm dying to give him a black eye. He was so sexy with that black eye. <laughs> Jimmy, let's go move the sofa again. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. I really loved him with the black eye. I thought it was like with some hood from Brooklyn. He was really hot looking. I think I, I really would like to give him a black eye one day. Anyway. If you keep interrupting me, now I lost my train of thought. But anyway, films today have got to lessen up on the gun shooting. I mean, some films are just hours and hours of nothing but nonstop bullets flying and people dying. This is like not what two. to teach the young people. Their, their minds are sponges. They absorb everything. I know people say, oh, that's baloney. Films have nothing to do. That's bullshit. Films, in listen, years ago, women copied movie stars hairdos they copied their clothing young men copied the look of errol flynn Cary grant in my day then it was james dean with the red jacket everybody went out and bought a red jacket because james dean wore it in the rebel without cause then later on it became marilyn monroe kim novak sophia loren go down the line everybody emulates and imitates film beautiful stories uh Three Coins in the Fountain. Everybody went to Italy because they saw that movie. They were influenced by it. Then it went down to Easy Rider. And then it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And today it's sinful how we have to watch gunfire and murder to be entertained. How about, guys, you write a story? You know, a good story. A story that we're interested in where people are human and normal. They don't fly in the air, kicking each other in the face, machine gunning each other down like dogs. Okay. So it was called Miss Palfrey at the Palfrey at the Claremont. It's uh, it's got Rupert friend before he became like a super huge star in it uh, when he was like young. And uh, you know, it's not a movie young people will like, but older you know people what? will people like have it. I've got to learn that film is story. And stories are different. It's a great story. Unfortunately, Hollywood doesn't give a damn about a story. All they care about is can the star bring in the ticket? 
we're, we're investing 20 million in a film. Let's make a hundred million profit. So get a big star, pay him a hundred million, pay him a million dollars to be in the movie, which is ridiculous. No actor's worth a million dollars. They get a lot more are. than that. I don't care who they are. <laughs> well, they ask a million because they know that their name will bring 150, 200, 300 million. So if you're going to use their name, they want a piece of the action. But then what happens is the quality of the films are not good anymore. Because if you're not doing a million and a half dollar movie, the movie stinks. The, the props are crappy. The scenes are crappy. The acting is crappy. The costumes are crappy. And of course, the writing is crappy. They say we look terrific. Who looks terrific? We do. Oh. They say we look terrific. I'm so bored. They want to know if I got a facial. So Don Don yeah, Hinton I, is I in. I sat the, on his face. That's the only facial he ever Don, got. Don Hinton is in the chat room, and she joined us, and so did um, B. Claudia joined us, and somebody else I saw in there who joined us. Uh, oh, and our guest for our second guest is actually in the chat room, Karen. So, hey, Karen, we'll be talking to you hey, in a little Karen, bit. Karen, I want you to tell your story that you told me at the Swan cocktail party. So it's all going to be fun. Um, um, before we get started, too, our first guest will be calling in about five minutes. Let's just uh, do a couple of commercially things. Like we want to thank everybody for tuning in. You can hear us on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, TuneIn, Pandora, Amazon Prime, and SoundCloud. Oh, and the other person who's in there that I didn't say anything to was Angie, Angela Joseph. She abandoned me. She doesn't love me anymore. Yeah, she works. She's not working on Wednesday today I don't now. Know where she went? She just says hello. She disappeared in Colorado somewhere. Oh, and they want to know what kind of watch you have on. Oh, just my black, you know, Fitbit. Stay alive watch. It keeps my heart rate. You know, I'm watching my heart rate. That's funny. Oh, Cindy's in the chat room too now. Cindy Lady Lake. So now everybody's joining us. I want to get us. back to Angie, the abander. The abander. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the abandoner. The, the abandoner. Is there such a word? I don't know. <laughs> now that she's a big shot working with the Rockets, she doesn't want to talk to us actors anymore. That's funny. Angie, baby, I miss you. Where are you? There you go. She's doing fabulous. She sent me an email earlier today saying she's doing great. Yeah, she's doing great. But we miss you. You know, you never come to California anymore, and you're so busy now. You better be careful they don't put you in a rocket and shoot you to Mars. She's rocket. They wrote rocket chick. That's what she is. She's a rocket she, chick. Now she's the rocket chick. She's, a, she's the uh, Cape Canaveral cookie. <laughs> you gotta like love it all. I love that Cape Canaveral cook. They don't call it Cape Canaveral anymore. Now it's called Kennedy. Something, Kennedy Space Center. Well, that's ridiculous calling it Kennedy. He murdered Marilyn Monroe and they allow them. You know, people today are throwing down statues and carrying on about being slaves and smashing history and changing everything around. And yet they have every all these Kennedy uh, honorary things to Kennedy. The Kennedy brothers married, murdered Marilyn Monroe. It's open and shut. There's no question about it. The CIA, they and the mafia, they all got together and they murdered Marilyn Monroe. Also, uh. You know, so when I was a kid, when I got chicken pox, so my my um, relatives were visiting and we've he had a plane. My uncle had a plane and he flew us to the Ken to Cape Canaveral. And then we went to the Kennedy Space Station. But I got chicken pox while I was there. <laughs> See, you got chicken. I got pox. chicken pox at, at, at the Kennedy Space Center. <laughs> That's a boring story. Why are you laughing? You find that very amusing. Yeah, I think it is you? amusing. I think it's a stupid, boring story. <laughs> Who gives a shit you got chicken pox? Maybe if you got late or something, that would they care. Now I was like ten, seven. Well, I'm sure it's something you were getting <laughs> oh, late. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> sissy fairy that you are. 
<laughs> no. Anyway. anyway. Um, so our first guest, actually, I, I, see I have she to rush this. after this show. I'm having a crown put on my lower back tooth. Is that painful? I've Is never that had boring? a crown. Oh, I have. Is that painful? No, because you're not getting a root canal, so it won't be bad. But what are they? Is it, do they put an injection in my gum? So the, oh, I don't want to be yeah. stuck. I don't want that needle in my gum. That's not bad. No, I can't do with that. Yeah, don't be a little girl. I'm not a little girl. I'm a big <laughs> tough guy, but I just don't like it. Who's like a little gum. girl? <laughs> I'm not a little girl. You're the little girl, you're little ballerina. <laughs> Ten years old in Cape Canaveral getting it. Yeah, right. So anyway, we're going to bring on our first guest. So let's see if we can see her. Bring her on, Juan. Oh, bring her on, Juan. That was pretty good, right? Hey, Jamie, how you doing? Hey, Jamie, how are you? You're, Fantastic. You cut your hair. No, she oh. always has short hair, kind of. Oh, no, I saw her. She had longer hair. That was years ago. Well, uh, <laughs> no, not I that. go from like here to here, and that's back and forth. So No, I thought you had really long, unless you had extensions. or No, or you're thinking piece. of somebody else. No, I'm not thinking of her. <laughs> I, I swear I remember you. We with, fight a lot. We're married. You'll get used to it. <laughs> I swear I remember you with longer hair. I mean, long time ago, I did have really long hair. Of course you did. I'm not lying or crazy. I'm not senile yet. You know, James. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Hold on. Let's introduce us. All She's right, everybody. So pretty. Now we want to welcome to the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell, the incredibly talented writer, producer, and also phenomenal actress, Jamie Bernadette. Hello and welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So let me introduce you first to my cool, outrageous man about town co-host, Mr. Her. Ron Russell. I've met her like Hi, a thousand Ron. times. <laughs> That's okay. I know her. You have a beautiful smile. You know that? Oh, smile. Give me you. that smile. It's a pretty smile. You know, you laugh when you smile and you make me giggle. It's a giggling smile. I love it. That's good. Um, unfortunately, in the, in the horror movies, you can't use it. No, not too much, actually. No, so, I mean, yeah. if, you look, if you look sweet and smiley, people walk out of the theater. They want you to be wicked and killed and bloody and chopped up. So hold on. We have a chat room. We have a chat room filled with people. And um, so first say hi to everybody in the chat room. Hello. There you go. There's a whole bunch of people in there. And then Dawn Hinton, who said that she watched like five of your movies in the last couple of days. So say hi to Dawn because she like... Uh, she's a big fan. Everybody's a big fan, but Don like was wrote on all my Instagram and all my posts like how happy she was that you were oh. coming on. So say hi to Don. Oh, that's sweet. Hi, Don. There <laughs> you go. Oh, and Angela Joseph too says you you look fantastic. No, don't even talk to her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm mad at her. Don't even talk to her. No, it's funny. All right, so you guys, we originally met Jamie. Uh, so we've lived here like four years, and uh, the first premiere we went to that was your film. Actually, I spit on your grave. Deja vu. And uh, so that's where we originally met you, and you had no idea who we were, and and uh, it was a lot she had of fun. No idea who you were, and she, she and it had Maria Olson, who's been on our show, and Camille Keaton, and Jim Tavari, and you. And so let's talk a little bit about that one, just to get the ball rolling uh, as we're going along, since since that's like a an iconic film. Um, so how how did that all With come a about? Horrendous title. I spit <laughs> on your grave. I mean, really. <laughs> So I had mean, you seen the original? Uh, had did you see the original in the remake? Oh yeah, of the original. Sure. I I had seen both before I ever even went in for any audition or saw casting notice or knew that they were making the sequel to the '78 film. So I was very familiar with with the franchise. 
And because uh, one thing that's cool about you and your act, like normally we bring people on and we call them a scream queen. I can't really call you a scream queen because you're you're not really the scream queen one. Most of the time, you're the one like killing everybody, or you're in charge, or you're like the the head of the army, or whatever you do. Like you're not actually usually the one, um, you know, who's like the scream queen who's running around, uh, running away. You're usually the one like going after people and killing. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right about that. It does seem, <laughs> even if it doesn't seem that way in the beginning of some films, it ends up that way. So I'm, I'm glad about that. <laughs> there are three people in every horror movie. There's tits and ass, there's the scream queen, and then there's the actor. You're the actor. <laughs> well, no, isn't it true? There's always tits and ass. It has to be to keep the perverts happy. And then there's... Well, and then there's blood and guts and eyeballs falling out to keep the mentally ill people happy. <laughs> and then there's your acting to keep us intelligent people happy. <laughs> so I'm a huge horror movie fan. Ron is Ron is from the, the golden age of Hollywood. He's from, a Turner I'm classic movie. Made, no, I'm from the days of when we made movies that were real movies, not this crap they make today. I'm in half of them anyway. I mean, I'm in such wonderful productions as Clown Motel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. <laughs> Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and then of course Clowny, which we just shot last week. So I think we ran out of clown titles. We should start in on something new. Do you want to be in a clown movie? Let's put you in. We'll put you in Clowny Thirty Seven. No, Clowny Thirty Seven. We're back again. It sounds fun. I don't know that I've ever been in a clown movie. I don't think actually, you have. Actually, I must. I teased Joe Kelly about his movies, but they are high camp. I mean, when you stay like Killer Tomatoes and Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you know, I love those. No, I love those films. When they have fun with a horror movie, I'm happy. But when they make it serious, I say it, it misses. It's not psycho, Alfred Hitchcock psycho, you know, it misses. But um, your movies are good. I spit on your grave. I mean, uh, it should have been something like I, I, I pour vodka on your grave. <laughs> So I let's it was originally called Day of the Woman. Uh, that would have been better. Yeah. Day of the Woman. Mm -hmm. So are you a horror fan? Like, okay, because you've made a lot of horror fans, but you're also doing a lot of other stuff now that's not horror. But but were you a horror fan before you horror, became horror? Horror. Stop with the horror. Okay, we ask how, how do you say horror? Horror. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, you're another one that's just horror. You know, <laughs> from New York, we think you're a big horror because that's what he's saying. A horror fan. You're a horror fan. You got to be. Oh, horror. I'm a horror fan. Horror. And <laughs> oh my God, everybody in Brooklyn. So wait, saying, wait. So oh, what, she's a horror. She's a horror. <laughs> no. So what were some of your favorite horror movies growing up before you became, you know, actively involved in them? I did watch a lot of Hitchcock um, with my mom. So like Psycho sure and the Birds. And I love the classics, Halloween, the original Halloween one and two amazing films. Um, I love... Um, Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street. I was obsessed yes. with the original. I would uh, act the scenes out. Um, I almost memorized the entire film. I probably oh, that's awesome. Forty times. So well, yeah, I was why, a big horror film when I was. That, that's why you are a good actress because you were learning from the good films, not from the junk. And that, I mean, anytime you copy Hitchcock or you go into The Birds, I mean. Those are, those are classic Wait, I movies. have a story to tell her then. Okay, so we had Lisa. We, we, we used to live in Pennsylvania. We had Lisa Wilcox on the show, 
I think it was Lisa Wilcox. Is she the one? And so we're talking about horror movies, and she's in Nightmare on Elm Street, and she's the one who gets sucked into the bed. And so he says to her, and he just has know, he doesn't research anybody, so he doesn't know who they are. He's just off the cuff, and he's like, he's like, as long as you're not like the girl who gets sucked into the bed with the guy with the knives and no, everything. No, 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 no. I said. As long as you're not playing the girl laying in bed and that nut gets a knife and comes through the mattress and kills you. And then she's like, yeah, that was me. (laughs) And I didn't know because I never watch. I don't even watch the movies I'm in. Do you watch your movies without vomiting? I, you know, I haven't seen all of them. I'll be honest. Um, I really don't like to watch myself. So if I watch them, it's one time and. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Like at the premiere, you watch it no, at the at premiere, the, at and the that's red, it. At the red carpet, I watch, and then I see myself blown up on that big screen, and I look and I say, "Oh my God, you need an eye job, you need a facelift, you need <laughs> Botox, you need Restylane, <laughs> and also you need to do better in the next film." <laughs> I like love it though. So, do you still have to uh, uh, like for the? I, I get for like the really bigger things, but like when you're doing the indie horror films, do they still make you audition, or do you just pretty much get them based on who you are? I just get them now. They usually just make me an offer. Yeah, I figured that would probably like oh, happen. You've established because you've good established name, a yourself. good name in the business. You have a great name in the business, which is absolutely everybody true. knows your name, and that's what sells. If you're in a film, the film is going to move quicker than if it's uh, Mary. Uh, Douchewad from Sunshine City. <laughs> so let's brag a little. So you guys, first of all, some of the cool TV stuff you've seen her on. She, first of all, you were amazing in NCIS New Orleans, which I don't even watch the show. I only watched to see your episode, um, oh. but you were really, really good. Midnight Texas, phenomenal. Um, and then, and so you're like, I, I want to know if these are like a series. So you're in all these movies, and they all start with the wrong. So we have the wrong high school sweetheart, the wrong blind date, the wrong prince charming, the wrong fiance, and the wrong teacher. Is that all like some kind of like a? Because I haven't seen any of them. Is that like some kind of a, like a trilogy, a, like a, a, series. a series of films that it's all the wrong, or it just happens to be you're in all these films that start with the wrong? Um. Well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I'm in, I'm in clown this, clown that. I'm in yeah. 5,000 clowns. Don't feel bad. I mean, it's a running theme um, that Lifetime does these wrong movies, um, but they're not all interconnected. Um, okay. So they're standalone. Okay, so. there you go. But those are because, those, I mean, Lifetime, being on Lifetime movies is a big deal. Everybody watches them. Everybody sees you. Okay. That's how everybody I, I, knows who you are. movies. You got a boyfriend? <laughs> Don't smile. We met her sister the other day when we were, when no, we saw she's her. She's not going out with her sister, so who cares? Oh, we want to hear if she's got a boyfriend. We want to. We want the dirt about the boyfriend. Oh, okay. I'm married. Oh, you, so do you ha- still have a boyfriend? No. <laughs> How many years are you married? Oh, I just got married uh, in October. Are you happy? Oh, congratulations! Well, I, shut up, Jamie. I'm interviewing. Are you happy? Oh, I'm thrilled. Is he I, good to you? Is he a oh, good guy? He's amazing. He's is he amazing. handsome? Yeah, he's really good looking. Is he hung? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, I talked to a lot of the girls. I was I was in a movie, with, and I was in the trailer with six of the uh, girls in the film who are all sexy, famous girls. I won't name them. 
And these girls began talking about all the actors that they had sex with and who's got a little one and who doesn't do this and who couldn't get it up. I mean, women really destroy men. They honestly do. I think, you know, they think that when a guy talks about a chick, it's like, wow, she's got a great rack. She's stacked. What nice ass. But women. Oh, he had very small testicles with a tiny penis. Oh, my God. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do that. And I thought, Jeez, Jesus, ladies, you know, give us a break. We're gay. Women tell no, us everything. Right. So I said, you know, I'm a man. And then one of them, the famous one turned around. She said, oh, well, you're gay. It's OK. I said, no, it's not OK. But anyway, it's important for a man to have a sexy lady like you, and it's important for a sexy lady like you to have a sexy man. So, is he in the business? Is he an, in an actor? The, is he an actor? He's not. Um, That's good. Mortgage business, but he did actually act in a film that I directed. Um, it's not out yet, and he was actually fantastic. Oh, is he, is he cute? Is he good looking? Is, is he good looking? She said gorgeous. Beautiful. Yeah, so if he came to Palm Springs, all the girls, the fags would run after him. <laughs> Is he like gay bait? Uh, gay bait? <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. She says, well, I know a couple of dykes that would love you. <laughs> Actually, um, we're going to ask a uh, So, so uh, Dawn has been watching your movies all week. She wants to know how, what did you think of your uh, performance in the furnace? It looked like you had to run 200 miles. <laughs> pretty much um i mean i absolutely love the way that film came out it's such a beautiful story the director daryl root is amazing he's an oscar-nominated director um it was the experience of a lifetime getting to go to south africa it was life-changing actually so but yeah it was a really tough role i was very jet-lagged um i slept two to three hours usually every night uh when i was making that film even though the producers flew me in early to give me time to get over the jet lag i i don't know i i couldn't switch over so i did that movie on like hardly any sleep and but it so it was tough and yeah it was a lot of running um i was very very sore there were days i would run all day long but it was beyond fantastic there you go dawn now, she said now, beyond you're, fantastic you're, you're in my very darling friend uh janae's film you know my my Danae is a trip. I always say he's a trip. When you go to Danae's house, you're no longer on planet Earth. You enter another world, a world that Danae creates, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. He is probably one of the most outrageously interesting people I've ever met. And he's quite a character when he becomes Liz Lauren, who I love because he's still the most beautiful female impersonator that looks like a woman and does it with grace and style and class. Actually, she knew that. Did you know that Danae does uh, dresses up as Liz Lauren? He's doing pickups this week. I know, but that doesn't mean she knows that. Did you you know know who who Danae Montague King? First of all, we're talking about Danae Montague King from the movie um, Maybelline Prince. Did you have a wig on in that movie, long hair? I did. Yeah. That's why you had see Jimmy Starr. You don't know your race. I knew she had long hair because she pulled. No, I'm telling you, I remember the last time I saw her was in Janae's movie, which is called the Maybelline uh, Prince. Prince. So Ron used Ron and Danae have been friends for many, 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 years. many, many years. Ron used to impersonate the, the legendary Jane Russell. Right. Before, and then they became really good friends. And Danae is Liz Lauren, who's kind of like a takeoff of Sophia, so, Lauren. Sophia Lauren. Did you have you ever seen Danae dressed as Sophia Lauren? 
I haven't. See, she didn't oh, know. He, you didn't know. He's fabulous. <laughs> he's fabulous. He, he's the wow. he is the best that's left. I don't work anymore uh, as a female because I, first of all, I never was a drag queen. I was an actor who only acted as this woman. But Janae uh, does it quite often. He still dresses. He's almost a cross dresser. But he is just the most fabulous person. Uh, we saw his movie. We're at the premiere. Of course, you're good. And the girl that played the old lady was phenomenal. Because yeah. meeting, meeting her at the premiere, she's a young girl. Mm -hmm. And how she pulled off being an old lady. The film is a good film. I, I knew this. The, I read the book. The book was terrific. In fact, I'm on the cover of the book. I think Janae has me making quotes about the book. Uh, the film... I don't know. You know, we need millions of dollars to make good films. There's no question about it because people today are so sophisticated. Years ago, you could do a corny film, a bad film, and people didn't know any better. Like those terrible films that, uh, what's his name used to do? The, oh, the famous guy, uh, that Johnny Depp played his life story. Oh yeah, I forgot. The, 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 the gay guy, the crazy one. Anyway, I'm, I'm going nowhere. Yeah, you're not going anywhere. It was anywhere. a good film. It was a good film, and you were great in it. You played a really good part. Oh, thank you. I would have liked to seen you in it more, but yeah, more, more, but because uh, I kind of thought when I saw you on the uh, when I saw you on IMDb that were in it, I kind of like thought maybe you were like the. I, I thought maybe you were like one of the leads, you know, because your name would bring attention to the right. film. Um, but you know, I, uh, we had a really good we had a really good time at the premiere and the after party though, and I think you did an excellent job. When a, oh, when, a when a professional is in a film, even for three minutes, two seconds, you see that professionalism immediately. And that's what I found with you. You know, your scene came on and right away, there it goes. Now we have a film. So it's sad that, um, how can I do this delicately? <sighs> I can't. It was good to see but you, you know in the what film. I mean. You know we like I mean. loved it. Well, I mean, anyway, we enjoyed everybody it. Everybody, go see the Maybelline Prince. It's not out yet. When it comes out, it's about the story about the Maybelline cosmetic uh, company, and was she murdered, and who murdered her, or was it an accident because she died in the fire? There you go. It's a good film. The book was terrific. I loved the book because the book. You know, we 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 made the movie in our head when we when you read the book, and I kept saying to Janae, "Did you kill her?" You know, and he said, "No, I didn't." I said, "Well, you're a suspect. You could have killed her." <laughs> so watch the movie and see if did Janae Montague King, who's the head of DMK Cosmetics, did he kill Maybelline? Ron uses all his stuff. All right, oh, so no. you have a brand new film. Uh, and uh, and I actually thought it was going to be terrible, and I haven't seen it, but the trailer's pretty good, uh, just because it's an asylum film, and sometimes their films aren't always that that great. I mean, they're fun; they're a ton of fun. But Jurassic Domination, and it actually looks pretty cool. Um, so tell us a little bit about it. You're like a general or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never played military or in, in charge like that at all. Um, I play uh, Colonel Ramirez in it, so. Yeah, it was a, it was a new role for me. Um, and as I was doing it, I was like, gosh, I don't know if I'm <laughs> if I'm selling this like I'm doing the best that I can. Sometimes we don't see ourselves like the casting director sees us and the producers and the director. And then I watched it and I I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, OK, I, I can see it now. Um, 
so yeah, it was different for me for sure. Um, and but, the dinosaurs look good, though, because I've seen, you know, everybody, for there was a little while where everybody was putting out, like, a dinosaur movie, but the dinosaurs, you know, would, like, make you laugh. And this one, they actually look realistic, and they look like velociraptors or whatever from, like, Jurassic Park. Um, yeah. So they came out pretty good. So did you have a good time doing it? I love working with the Asylum. I've worked with the Asylum several films now, and, I mean, they always treat me really well. I always have a great time. So um, the director was great. The... The cast was fantastic, so it was it was a good one. So what we're gonna do? So we because I wanna uh, I actually oh, wait, one thing I want to say: there are people who read lines, and there are people who become the character. I feel when you when you work, you become the character. You don't read lines. Uh, you know how many actors just read lines? You know what I'm saying? Mm, thank you. But you become the character, and so that I'm sure as a general. You became that character. So we're going to let everybody see because we're going to play the trailer yeah, for them. So I'm sure you did a so Jamie, job. what I want you to do is uh, okay. I, I'm hoping that I'm hoping YouTube doesn't shut us down. But if they do, just hang on because our audio will keep going and then we'll be back. You'll still see us anyway. But everybody else, um, we're going to do this. So what I want you to do, Jamie, is you actually just do some sort of introduction for them. After you do it, Juan's going to play it for us. Oh, you want me to do the introduction? Yeah, it's your film. <laughs> Okay, should I do it now? Yes, do it now. <laughs> All right, so here's the trailer for Jurassic Domination. Good girl. Good, good segue. <laughs> is that enough? What I'm about to show you is highly classified. The cargo was a living weapon, being transported to a military facility nearby for combat training. And it's escaped. I would like you to bring them in. Alive. What is them? Allosauruses. I'm assembling a special ops team to recapture our assets. What is that? I'm instructing you to use whatever means necessary. Both assets have entered the tunnel. Prepare for an assault on our base. I got blood over here. <laughs> took out an entire barracks. They're smart. They have a rudimentary knowledge of strategy. Should be looking for a secure place to build our nest. Just up ahead. Those eggs. We're gonna lure them in. Get this under control now. We can't get out into the wild. We're flying blind here, man. Now this yeah. looks like a good film. It looks so much fun. And you do look you are you are very much a general. Kind of tough and cold and hard. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Roberts, we love him. Yeah, he's, you know, he's been on our he's show. He's a sweetie pie. I mean, he's really a good friend. And it's um, great. Great to work with. Yeah, it was the first time I got to work with them. We had been in some things together, but that was the first time we were ever on set at the same time and working right. together. I like love it. So I think the dinosaurs in that too. They look really realistic. They look realistic, which made me happy because I thought, oh no, it's going to be really like bad with the dinosaurs. But the dinosaurs, they did a phenomenal job with it. I will. I will watch this film. Yeah, I want to watch it too. This film, I'll watch. No, I don't. I don't watch everybody's films. You know, I I I haven't got time to be bored to death. But (laughs) no, 
so, well, you know what I'm saying. You have to go to some friends' films, and you sit there. You want to kill yourself. You want to. You say, "What am I doing here? This film is horrible. Can I can I sneak out without offending anybody?" But no, this film looks good, and you look good. And I like your hair like that. Oh, thank you. I used to be a hairdresser for years. Oh, That's how did. I survived. Why? You think I made money acting? Please, I would be dead by now from, starva <laughs> from starvation. I was a big, I was a top hairdresser in New York in Sutton Place. I did models and celebrities, so I'm very hair conscious. I kind of like that look a lot. Did you ever think of sh of sort of semi shingling the back of your hair and leaving the front just flopping around? I've with your with your jawline. Mm. I would love to see less hair behind the ear mm -hmm. because I think it brings out your, your cheekbones, your chin and your jawline. I like what you look like with the, with that behind. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I've done something similar, um, a haircut like that years ago. I think it's my very becoming so on you. Thick. Yeah, my hair is so thick. I need That's a good. hairdresser to cut it short, right? So it's not big. Right. <laughs> No, you, you know. just you just need to have it. We used to call it shingling. Now they call it uh, what, what they call it now, hazing or something. I don't know what the hell they call. It. They change everything around. You're not a woman anymore. You're a they. Uh, <laughs> you know. So I'm learning the new language of the morons. So, but hey, I would have definitely given you a tighter nape of the neck cut, and I would have thrown your hair all over the place. And I think you'd be smashing. Hmm. Absolutely. I wild and stunning give it a shot you may love it and it's easy care i mean you come out of a shower you slop it around let it dry naturally if it's cut properly you know who you can cut who cuts hair beautifully who i, I would like to know yeah oh he's fabulous he's not cheap but he might give you a break because he's a good he's a very good friend of ours and that's uh what do you call it what, what the hell is his name it works in beverly hills oh my god He's a dear friend of the one with the white hair, the long white hair. Oh, Daniel DeCristio. Yeah. Daniel DeCristio. Daniel DeCristio. <laughs> he works in Beverly Hills. Uh, tell him that Ron said to give you a good price. You can look him up. He's on social media. Yeah. He's got like long blonde hair down and, to his and ass. He's, he's a darling friend of mine. Tell him, Ron Russell said, if you don't give me a cheap price, he's going to cut your hair off and cut your <laughs> balls and cut your balls off with them. He How might even he might even know you because I think I invited him to your uh, – to uh, your premiere, premiere. I spit on your grave. I think he might have been there. He's one of the top. <laughs> he, does, he does all the big movie stars. He's one of the top haircutters in the country. He's fabulous. So let's and let's. He'll look at you and he's going to see what I'm seeing, and he will do your hair beautifully. I so want to. I need somebody good. No, but seriously, he's, he's very expensive. Just tell him to give you a break. That Ron Russell said so because then I will do a commercial. I just did a commercial for that slut. Tell that little tramp <laughs> bitch or. That I said I just did a commercial for him, and commercials on our show are sixty grand. So he owes you a nice, maybe a free haircut. Yeah. There you go. So now I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, go on my Facebook. I'm gonna tell Danny to to do you beautifully. So I want to do some other bragging for you. All right. So you're you're in Holly, Harley Wallen's Ash and Bone, which we haven't seen, but Harley's a really good friend of ours, and and oh, yeah. uh, we go to all. So we love Harley and his wife, Katie, They're and uh, 
Um, they're fantastic. And then you guys, she's uh, in Colonials, which isn't out yet. We got invited to like the premiere party of the trailer or whatever around Christmas time, but we couldn't go. But that's got Sean Kanan and Mike Ferguson and Juliet Vega, you guys. Uh, Juliet Vega is, is from Studio City. Sean Kanan's show. And John's, Sean and his wife are really good friends of ours. Sean and so is Mike Kanan Ferguson. Is like my brother. And Michelle is my sister. I adore the both of them. They're the closest people to us. And then... And Sean Kanan is a handsome, wonderful actor and a, and a terrific guy. I'm going to mention some of these other films because we know a lot of the people in him. Axeman, that co- what's his name? He's ter- you know, he scares people to death. Oh, Mike Ferguson. When Mike walks <laughs> in a room. Oh, yeah, Mike. people people run we away. We love him. No, they run away. They figure he's a dope addict, a slave trader, murderer, killer, zombie. And then yeah. he opens his mouth and he's like the nicest and guy on the planet. It's like a teddy bear. I, I, I love him. I love Mike. I me tease too. Mike every time I see him. I say, I know you want to make out with me. I know you want to tongue kiss me. I know you want to love me. And he goes, yeah, baby. How'd you know that? How'd you know that? How'd you know that? So Mike is, you know, plays along with it. Great guy. Do you have any fun with Mike? Oh, yeah. I adore Mike a lot. Yeah, everybody does. Everybody does. So much does. fun. And he, yeah. he, would, he met my husband, actually, and he kept saying, congratulations. Congratulations! <laughs> it was hilarious. No, he's he's a he's Mike, good people. Mike is good people. Am I in a movie with Mike? I think somewhere. Have I ever worked with Mike? Well, he's in Clown Motel too. Yeah, but I he's worked, just not in your scenes. He's not in my scenes, but I I worked in the same film. With Mike. So Axman at Cutters Creek with Alyssa Dowling, Tiffany Sheppis, and Brink Stevens. We've had all of them on the show. The Bone Box with Maria Olson and David Chokachi. We've had both of them. You've done a lot of stuff with Maria Olson. Yeah, I have. I adore her. We got really close during I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu. That's when I really got to know her. She's fabulous. She's a good actress. She's yes. a, did you see Pretty Boy? She was in Pretty Boy, and in, in, uh, uh, she's phenomenal in Pretty Boy. She almost steals the whole show. Oh, wow. In, I'm in it. it. Yeah, you'll have to see that one. Well, then you have. No, wait. Pretty Boy is a second to blind. Yes. Yeah, not blind. Blind is number one. Pretty Boy is second. She does about a five or six minute nonstop monologue that is so incredible. I sat there and I thought this woman certainly can hold an audience and act. And if it was me, I would need 20 cue cards, plugs in my (laughs) ear and five people telling me my lines. I could never remember. Do you remember lines easily? Pretty easily, yeah. Maria does too. She won't miss a line. I like love that. How do you learn your lines? Um, I I don't know. Just I going mean, over them and over them. Do you have somebody read to you? No, I learn them on my own. Usually first I learn them on my own and then when I have them down cold and then I'll have someone read with me. You you run lines with them. Yeah. I like love it. Like what uh like what's the biggest monologue you had to give? You think? It was actually probably in Jurassic Domination. Oh wow! Okay. It, it was it was probably twelve pages on paper. <laughs> it was long, and it was a lot of technical scientific dialogue. I hate that when it's technical. <laughs> Luckily, I remember him, those, and you, and hi, and uh, goodbye. Let alone technical. I was in a movie where I had to l- do a line, and I had to say something about a Bitcoin. He couldn't figure out what I a never Bitcoin heard of, was. I never heard of it at the time. I never knew what a Bitcoin was, so I kept calling it a Bitcoin. 
And they kept saying, no, Ron, it's a Bitcoin. I said, well, what the fuck is a Bitcoin? I don't know what that is. And they said, it's a form of money. I said, since when? Did they don't use money anymore? So anyway, I had such trouble with the stupid word bit that every time now I see that director, he teases me. <laughs> Meanwhile, he just lost about forty or fifty thousand dollars with bitcoins, coins. So That's yeah, so he's not going to forget them. So then we have American Satan with Andy Biersack, Denise Richards, Boo Boo Stewart, and Malcolm McDowell. How was Boo Boo Stewart? Did you get to meet him on set? I did. Yeah, very very nice. Everyone was really nice on that. Yeah, uh, I had a couple. How, how was Malcolm? It. How was Malcolm? I didn't meet him. Yeah, oh, he's been on our show. That I shot. He's been on the show, but that's a really good movie, American Satan. Like, I actually enjoyed that one a lot. A that's lot a good one. Out, I, didn't, I only wrote down the ones where we she's know all working. the people in them. I didn't even write down, like, the 50 other ones that she's been in. You're working and smoking. Yeah, I like that. Um, and then I wrote down, and I only wrote this down because it's so funny. I watched this movie the other day. I love it. I know it bombed, and you don't really have a role role in it because um, it calls you uncredited reporter. But I love Gem and the Holograms. I swear to God, like – like uh, I thought it was so much fun and I love the soundtrack to it and I like those dumb kid movies um, and so but I literally just watched it on Sunday not knowing and so then I wanted to go back and see if we could at least see you as the uncredited reporter yeah it keeps adding me on that um, yeah but why, it is a good film it's a really good film yeah I enjoyed why were it you, why were you uncredited you're too big to be in a film and maybe not it's not even in it are you even in the movie or they just somebody just put that there for you somebody keeps seeing somebody that they think is me and okay. yeah oh. yeah because i was because like i know you would never be because i don't really see you as uncredited film. reporter either <laughs> you're, you're too yeah. far you know, it would be different 15 years ago maybe but not like in no. the last couple of years I mean, um, I yeah, I'm right. weird about things like people just add you and then you can't get it off. And yes, you know. that's such bad theater. It really is. It stinks when people do that crap. So out of all the projects you've done, do you have one that's like more of a favorite or one that maybe it's not your favorite movie, but you had the best experience on? Um, I mean, we've already talked about it. I would say the furnace. Was, okay. Yeah, just such an amazing experience. It's just a beautiful film. It really touches people too. Like I get letters, people like I was bawling my eyes out. Like it moves them, it changes their life. So it's one that I always recommend. Okay. And where is it is it streaming anywhere now that we can actually see it, do you know? It's actually I think it's on Tubi now. So oh, you can watch cool. it for free right now with ads. Yeah, we watch Tubi all the time. We love yeah. Tubi. <laughs> well, you, you, should we watch it, or am I going to not like it? It's not a horror movie, though, right? It's not horror. It's oh, good. good gonna... It's like a movie. Oh, I like it. I'll watch it tonight. Oh yeah, we'll watch it tonight then. Tonight we... we'll watch it with dinner. We need something fun to watch. Yeah. Um. So, so okay. No, I'm so... done with horror movies. That's all I live in the world of horror movies. You know, I'm so sick of them. I I mean, one more premiere of a horror movie, I'm going to scream. I'd like to go to a movie once in a while where it's a drama or a comedy or something intelligent, you know, <laughs> film like years ago. No, we need to get out of this gory, bloody uh, machine gun mentality. Mm. We need more feel good movies. We need more happy movies because the economy stinks. The government stinks. Everything stinks. Uh, the world stinks. 
Whoa. So wait a second. I want to go. I want to go back to that though, then, because you okay. So because you're doing everything now. I mean, I think you have done a lot of horror, but I see you really branching out into everything now. Which congratulations, number one, that you're not pigeonholed into just one, uh, and number two. So how how is it different for you? Because like working on network television, like on NCIS or something, has to be totally different than like going and doing. Oh yeah, you know one of your one of these indie films, you know, like like the like Maybelline Prince or something. Like like, how was it for you? How was it for you doing network television? Well, I mean, some shows want you word for word um, on the dialogue, so that's different. Like, I think independent films are more lenient. Yes. Um, so you really have to go and and know your lines cold. But then, like on Midnight Texas on NBC, um, they were more lenient than NCIS New Orleans. So it also depends on the show you're on. But you definitely have to be aware of the expectations um, before you go to set. Also, though, they spend a lot. They spend uh-huh. like as much time on one episode as like an indie movie spends on the whole movie. <laughs> no, I've done yeah. television. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You have more time. You have more time. Independent films, I mean, my goodness, shoot so fast, some of them. Um, and you get one, two takes. So network television, definitely. Usually there's there's more time spent. So you get, you know, instead of one or two takes, maybe you get even 15. So that's a luxury for sure. I love that. What were you going to say? I forgot. Okay. I, I did television years ago. And yes, you're right. They want it exactly as, because of the union, the script, the writer, you know, wants it word verbatim. Uh, I find that in these crappy movies I'm in, it's great because I have a chance to develop the character. I try to make it real. And I talk with the director and the producer and I say, listen, can we tweak it? I, my character doesn't sound quite like who I am. And we can custom tailor the work to who our personality is. And that's what I like about working the low budget films. Yeah, you do have um, a lot of creative room. A lot of creative room, exactly, well put. So, okay, so let's say uh, this, and this is something I like to ask all, and I want to do you, I want to make it a two part thing for you instead of a one part thing. Uh, So, first of all, if you could have ever been in any movie in the, that's ever been made in history, what movie would you have liked to have been in? But then the second half is I also want to know what horror movie you would have liked to have been in. Um, so like a regular movie and a horror movie. And then uh, you can be thinking in the background, I want to know a uh, male and female actor, you know, bucket list of you could work with anybody in the industry, living or dead, anybody living or dead, who would you have liked to have worked with male and female? Hmm. <laughs> um, I think horror film, I would have loved to be in the first Halloween. Yes. It was just so epic. Um, Good pick. I agree. That's a good one for you. <laughs> yeah. And then other film, I think um, The Great Gatsby, the Baz Luhrmann, I think was absolutely beautiful. That's fun. Yeah, it's a great movie. Ron likes the original. I like the Robert Redford, Mia Farrow better. I like Robert Redford. It was, it was true. It was true. <laughs> Me too. It was truer to the book. And the, yeah. the, the budget back then, you know, three or four million was like 30 or 40 million today. So it was a very lavish film. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I okay. love to go into the world of the super rich. And what are some of the uh, some actor, actor and actress that you think, oh my God, I would like love to, to work with? 
Um, probably, um, I, I probably Ellen Bernstein. Oh wow! Her dream. I think she, she's, she's wonderful. I think yeah, she's wonderful too. Wonderful actress. Yeah, I think. Now you would you, you would have played Daisy. You would have played Daisy, right, in Gatsby. Yeah. The part of Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> you, probably, you probably would have done a good job with it. Thank you. Of course, I would have had to make you blonde. Have you ever been blonde in a film? No, I I think it would be fun to go blonde. I know it's a lot of upkeep, though, but... No, I don't mean go blonde. I mean wear a wig, a blonde wig in a movie. Oh, yeah. Have you ever? No. Never. Never. Wait, so who was the male? Who was, who was the male actor that you'd like to work with? Um, Let's see. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is great. Yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah. yeah oh, and he was in The Great Gatsby. <laughs> I, like, love that. I think that's so much fun. Yeah. I think I think it's just terrific. So how long have you actually been acting? Uh, about 15 years now. Wow. Oh, so you've actually made a big splash in a very little amount of time. You know, because yeah. like, people have known you. I mean, for the last five years at least, five, five or six years, people pretty much, like, know who you are. When you mention your name, everybody knows. I mean, it only took you like ten years to really make a a, a bigger a big splash. And, and I've been in the business sixty four years, and I'm still nobody. <laughs> <laughs> you so you see sour grapes for some money bunch. <laughs> Somebody wrote Rosemary's Baby. Why? I'm not sure why that is. That in was there. a wonderful movie, Rosemary's Baby. That was a Mia Farrow did a great, great job with that film. Yeah. I never thought of Mia Farrow as an actress, but between Gatsby and uh, Baby, I thought she did two beautiful performances. Oh, also, you guys, you can follow you Jamie. Know, her mother was Maureen O'Sullivan, so she did co- a very fabulous actress of the 1930s and 40s. Actually, Maureen O'Sullivan played Jane in Tarzan with um, Johnny Weissmeller, and that was her mom. So Mia Farrow came from good, good stock. Mm-hmm. Do you ever watch any of the classic film? Like Ron's a classic movie like expert, basically. Like Turner Classic Movies, all the black and white. He was best friends with Jane Russell back in the day, and uh, you know, and he he all, all the old movie stars were my buddy. He, he knew Betty Davis, and he, he knew Elizabeth Taylor. He knew like no, all I, these. I was in. I never. No, I, see, I have to be careful about knowing, meeting, and friends with. Jane Russell was my buddy, best friend. Betty Davis, I knew. And Elizabeth Taylor, I've been in her company. Wow. Wow. That's a three different. No, some people like to bullshit and say, oh, I was friends with Elizabeth Taylor. I could never say I was friends with her. She didn't call me up and say, hey, Ron, come over for coffee, you know? Yeah. So I I was in affairs with her, at events with her because of AMFAR and because of Elizabeth Taylor Foundation for AIDS Research. Mm -hmm. Uh, Betty Davis, I knew. uh, I knew pretty Betty. Pretty, well, you went to eat with I her. I knew her pretty well. I had lunch with her. I used to go to her house. But I was not, I couldn't just ring the bell and say, hey, Betty, I'm coming up for a drink. Right. No. <laughs> you got to like love all of it. So do you watch any of the classic movies? You know, I've watched a lot with my mom um, because she she loved to watch classic films. So I know that I've seen a lot, but I don't know that I can name them. Like I mentioned the Hitchcock. She loved Hitchcock, so she had a big influence on me with that. Um, I watched this Niagara movie one time with her, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe, yep. Right, right. Yeah. 
So, um, but yeah, I know I have because she loved those films. Um, well, I, I'm from that era and I learned to act at 19 years old when I started making movies. And I carry that over into today's films. And I thought maybe it's going to be corny and funny, but we just finished doing Clowny this weekend. And I, for the first time, said to my producer, director, we need to have rehearsals. My actors in the movie have never rehearsed. They were thrilled with rehearsal. We tweaked dialogue. We became friends. It's the old technique. And I say to actors, use your hands because hands tell a story. Don't stand there with your hands at your side reading lines. Act. Become. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that now, and they learn from me. So I get so happy that maybe in a little small way, I'm helping some actors to bring to light what we had back then, but not corny. In other words, without the corny dialogue. Yeah. But, le- but you know what I mean? Lo- learn the emotion of acting. There's an emotion to it. Well, you- just like now, how you blinked your eyes. You're, understand- you're understanding what I'm saying. So your eyes just blinked a yes. Actors have got to learn that. Yeah, yeah, I think that. Mm -hmm. The camera doesn't miss a trick, and you know that. The camera picks up every friggin' thing. Yeah. You can't fool the camera. Did you take acting lessons? I did, yeah. I took at the Van Mar Academy when I first started. Um, Ivan Marcota has passed away. So is the other instructor, Steve, unfortunately, Steve Cardwell. Um, And then I took at Margie Haber as well. I, I like love it. So somebody in the chat room is writing that you were on a movie called Death on the Nile and I liked her dance. Did you dance in a movie called Death on the Nile? I don't think you guys have no, the right person because I don't think she was Death in on Death on the, on the Nile. I know I know the <laughs> cast of Death on the Nile. She yeah. wasn't in that. No. So what's coming up in the future that we could talk about that we're allowed to talk about? Um, well, this Friday, um, I'm on Keeping Up with the Joneses. It's season two. It's episode two. I was on the first episode last Friday. So we get to see what happens with my character. Um, that's 8, 7 Central on Lifetime. I'm really excited about that. I love that character. She's She has a duality about her. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and hang, then- on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait. So you guys Keeping Up with the Joneses, it's Vivica Fox, Candy Buress, uh, other people that have been in the show, I don't know if they're regular, but that we know, Ted McGinley, Michael Pere, Paul Logan, and Eric Roberts, and Jamie Bernadette, who will be on her second episode this Friday at what time? 8, Eight seven o'clock? Central. 8, 7 Central on Lifetime. Okay, what else you got? Um, I have Sebastian. It's a horror film. It's coming out October 22nd. Um, I'm not sure what platform yet. I'm waiting to find out. Um, and... Who's yeah, that with you. Who's in, who's in Sebastian with you? Darius McCrary. You might know him from Family Matters. Yes. So yeah, he's great. Um, Tori Hart from uh-huh. Hollywood. Clifton Powell from Ray. Um, it's directed by Man Robinson. But yeah, it's it's scary. Uh, I'm excited about it. The trailer's actually been released. Um, the director has released it, but they haven't started any press or anything yet. So. Hopefully you should be hearing more about it soon. Um, and then I have Ash and Bone. Um, I believe that's an October release as well. I don't have the exact date on that one, but that's directed by Harley Wallen. You guys know. Um, yeah, Harley's a good buddy of and, and his lovely wife. Yeah. She's so sweet. Katie. I so where are you actually from? Like I hear like a Missouri or St. Louis or like, where are you from? 
It only um, comes out Illinois. once in a while. Oh, Illinois. Okay. It only comes out every once in a while. You'll say something yeah. and I'll be like, oh, she lost her California accent. <laughs> yeah. I had a really heavy accent when I started. Really, you know what? It's charming. Oh, I love it. Everybody says to me, You have such a New York accent. I say, Yep, that's how come I go to work all the time. Because when they need a mobster or a gangster or a cop, they say, Get Ron Russell because I'm authentic. I don't have to act New York or sound corny. Ever hear the actor do a corny New York accent? You could vomit. It's a joke. (laughs) Accents can be really tough and they can take years to master for some people so yeah but if you have to play a midwest a a, a chicago cop you just pull it right out of your brain and you're a chicago cop authentic you're not a phony californian that's trying to sound like a illinoisan you know what i mean it doesn't work so you can use that i'm bet i'm sure that one day they're going to ask you to use your chicago accent that'd be great then i don't know it. No, it's, it's yeah. You don't have to it's, worry. About it. It's really wonderful when I get on the set and they say, "Okay, Ron, play a hood," and I say, "What do you want me to say over there? I'm not going to talk anymore about anything bad." You know what I'm saying? It's so easy. It's so easy to speak. So uh, wait, Brooklyn. do you do you, uh, like what would be what's the ultimate like goal? Would you would you like to be like a series regular like on a This Is Us kind of like TV show or or Jimmy? You pay so much money, of course. <laughs> You nuts! I would be on a series. I know, but not tomorrow. everybody wants to do a series. I would go. I would work naked at my. Okay, age but I'm not series. asking you. I'm asking her, and she's not oh, going to work naked. I'm just. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking how stupid your question it's is. It's not stupid. What do you think? Would you like to be a series regular, like on a uh, on a popular show, or no, do you she prefer to be on an unemployment or, line? No, or she's never unemployed. She works all the time. She goes from movie to movie to movie. No. Well, actually, Ron, you hit the nail on the head when you said cop. Um, I would love to play a series regular on a TV show playing a, a cop or a detective. You'd be a good cop. Oh, like Chicago I would, PD. I would cast you yeah. as a cop. Yeah. I definitely. I, I love playing a cop because it's it's a great role to play. And you know what? The audience loves two characters in a movie. They love the cop and the crook. Remember that always. <laughs> the crook always. No, the, when I play mafia in the movie, everybody comments on my performance. They don't comment on the other people. They love hoods. If you're a gangster, uh, well, look at the great gangsters of history, of film history. Yeah, you would make a good. Oh, I could like. Yeah, you should have a weekly. A Chicago PD, like you could like be one Chicago of the girls on PD. Chicago PD. You'd be one tough baby. Yeah, I would play opposite you as a gangster. I would love to play as a, a hood opposite you. I think you and I could really get energy going. I think so. Oh yeah, believe me. All right, copper, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Keep it up, keep it up, sweet face. I'm gonna blow both your tits off. <laughs> so you guys follow Jamie on Instagram. Her Instagram is Jamie Bernadette, J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-N-A-D-E-T-T-E. She puts all her stuff up there on her Instagram for you to know what's coming up. So you'll definitely uh, – she's got stuff up there about Friday nights, keeping up with the Joneses. I know I saw it earlier. Everybody watch it. I heard a lot of good stuff about that. You show. can follow her on Twitter, and her Twitter, I think, is Jamie Bernadette without the E on the end, right? Because right. it only lets you have 14 letters, so follow right. her on Twitter, you guys support all the things she does. You see how wonderful, how beautiful and nice and talented she is. So please support her. She's uh, and, and, and everybody start tweeting to, to Chicago PD and tell them that you want to see her as a cop. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Great idea. No, really. As, but as, let's get as, behind as her. A cop that's tough who goes after the slave trade people and the, and the horrible people who rape and abuse young oh, children. 
I wanted to ask you one other question too. So do you know Alessandro Fulcido? Fulcido? Um, why is that name? He's Italian. Me? He lives in Atlanta. He's a stunt guy. Uh, I think oh, he was out yeah. here recently. He's Wait. my he's my <laughs> business partner in our. Pro I have a production company that we make movies and TV shows, and he's my business partner in there. And I noticed that he wrote on your Facebook thing today. You know, oh wow, how cool! Jimmy's my partner, and I was like, oh, I didn't know you guys knew each other. So how do you know him? His team uh, was a stunt team on the film I directed, the Desecrated Ones. Oh, good for you. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like six degrees of separation. Was, you just read my mind, you might really? have gone. Uh, you stole my line. You oh, stole that line out of my mind. Oh, well. I mean, it really is cool, See, though. when you're married, you think alike. You have that with your husband. You have both think. What? You know, when you're married for a long time, you sort of think alike, and you, you say the same things at the same time. You yeah, have that also. Yeah, we, yes. got, we just got married, and, and we do that. <laughs> well, yeah. Been, yeah, but you've been together before you got married. Not for very long, I'll be honest. Really? Oh, no. so, so you're really a newlywed? Really? Yeah. I mean, we got together in um, late August of 2020, and he proposed. I believe it was March of 2021. Okay, stop right there. Stop. Stop. Well, that's only like eight stop, months. Stop right there. Do not go another further. Mm -hmm. How did he propose? Everybody wants to know. How did he propose? Well, we went up um, the top of a mountain, took a tram, and and he proposed up there, and then we had dinner. And wait, wait, what did he say? What did he, what did he say? <laughs> I, shut up, Jimmy. I want to hear. What did he say? What did he say to you? He got down on one knee. And, You're kidding. I love it. Which I appreciate it because he's had, yeah, been a stunt, like, motorcycle rider type yeah, racer, and so his knees aren't the best. So I, you know, he got down on one knee and that was amazing and um gave me a big long speech on that one very damaged knee and it was really sweet yeah so <laughs> but i knew it was i knew he was going to because he was really nervous i did you give him the famous betty davis warner brother line i'll let you know tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> no. what did you say yeah 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 now let's go Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you knew. You knew he was the one. I did know. And and it's, I could have been married like four times before. So I, sure. it's not like I just rushed in or right. I won, wanted to get married. I didn't need to get married, actually. It wasn't at the top of my priority list or something I had to do. So I knew that he was the one, yeah. And he said he knew with me second date, and he had come from long relationships as well. So I don't know. Sometimes you just know these things, and you can't really explain it. You know what? Congratulations. I, I, I'm happy I, I for was, you. I was dating five different guys. Jimmy was one of the five. So I was dating four guys plus Jimmy, and I didn't like Jimmy. He was the <laughs> least one I would ever think of going with, staying with. And then suddenly uh, it, it all turned around. And there was nobody else but Jimmy. Aww. We're married 10 years. Yeah, soon. 10 years in October. Oh, that's sweet. We're happy. We're happy. You know, it's fun. It's you got to have fun. All right, you guys, because we got another guest. So we want to. Well, I love you. You're we a wanna... sweet guest. And thank you so much for being 
uh, funny with us and and, uh, and, playing play, and playing with all my crazy shit that I say. And do. Oh, you guys were great. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, best of luck with the marriage. Best of luck in your everything. career. We'll see you at and the next guess premiere. What? I hope I work with you one day. I'm you will, because I'm going to put her in one of mine movies. Oh, good. Man. You may be <laughs> in my scene. I would love to work with you. So it'll be a lot of fun. Everybody follow Jamie and make sure to check out Keeping Up with the Joneses Friday night at 8. Thank you so much. Bye, Thanks, Jamie. Jamie. Jamie, 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 let me know how the haircut goes comes out. Okay, I will. <laughs> All right, All right. Bye. 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 Wasn't she fabulous, you guys? She was fabulous. She's a darling girl. Um, She's really sweet. So, um, you guys, real quick, we're going to take a quick music break. We're going to play Young Zuck. The name of the song is Strike a Pose, and when we come back, we'll have our second guest, Karen Whelan. Take it away, one. Mark got the heel. This is song for the ones who was doubting me. I'm the boss, CEO, now they envy me. Now they bumping on my music, I was proud to see. Take a pic, strike a pose, got me saying cheese. Got me riding through the city, you know I'm with a bad bitch. Remember all the nights I was working, they didn't have shit. Now I'm on top, and you know I'm living lavish. Told them fuck school, I was skipping on my class. Come and go, and strike a pose. I was always moving fast and not slow. I'm on a money mission, what you wanna know? Told him nothing less than 50 for the show Told him I'm a striker pose I'm more and go Catch me on a mission right out with my bros I was always moving fast and not slow And when we pull up to the city Let them know Tell them I'm a striker pose Tell me you don't hate See it in your eyes Thought you weren't angels Just the devil in disguise Had to give it all I had Tell my mama that I tried Caught up in the mix I was reading all your lies My dog told me Drop that shit Get your ass to the stool And write another song If you down in the blues I was down I was working, they didn't have shit Now I'm on top, and you know I'm living lavish Told them fuck school, I was skipping on my classes I'm on go, and strike a pose I was always moving fast and not slow I'm on a money mission, what you wanna know? I, I told them nothing less than 50 for the show Told them I'm a strike a pose I'm on go, catch me on a mission right out with my bros I was always moving fast and not slow And when we pull up to the city, let them know Tell them I'm a strike a pose Hey, everybody, that was Young Zuck. I love Young Zuck. He's super cool. That was Strike a Pose. Now we're going to bring on our next guest. Let's see if we can see her, and um, then we'll do an introduction. There you are. Hey, hello. Here I am. Oh, and we can hear you, too. Good. All right, everybody. Now we want to welcome to the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell, transformational psychotherapist, intuitive consultant, tantric teacher, rising star, healer, workshop facilitator, retreat leader, international best-selling author, and author of two memoirs, Karen Whelan. Hello, and welcome to the show. 
Wow. Oh my God. Thank I'm you a, for the intro. I'm, out of, I'm out of freaking breath. No, and you all have to say the name of the book she's in. That's we're going to we're gonna go back that's to That's how come I, I know her. That's what we're going to. So you already know Ron, but let's say sure. hi to Ron. Hey, Ron. Hello. Hi, I did. Me and Ron hi, had a gorgeous sweetie. conversation up in Bel You're a darling person. I really enjoyed you at that party. You're very open and honest, and you're sweet and warm and friendly. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so we also have a we have a if you were uh, a snobby bitch you wouldn't be <laughs> you did say i had a cute nose i had a cute irish nose so i assumed it was the irish nose that gifted me to be <laughs> there, there you go you do have a cute little irish nose so also we have a chat room full of people say hi to everybody in the chat room and say hi to Catherine, who says you look beautiful oh thank you <laughs> self-done ah oh, no now so i know that you have a lot of stuff to tell us so I'm going to let you go and tell us. I'm not going to interrupt. Now, first of all, let's tell everybody about the book the real book. quick. Okay. All right. So you guys. So Karen, who is the solution therapist, is one of the authors of Women Gone Wild, the Wealth Edition, the Feminine Guide to Fearless Living. A couple of weeks ago, we had Rhonda Swan on, and um, and Karen is on page 83, I think. Right? I read your stuff. It's on page yeah. 83. And uh, so tell us a little bit about the book and how you got involved with the book. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny, you know, when I, I was asked to do the chapter on wealth, I was like, what the fuck do I know about wealth in terms of financial wealth? I was kind of like, mm, I don't know what I can offer people, you know, as the concept of financial wealth. But then when we sat in the space and we were talking about everything, it went deeper for me. I went into that deeper place, that place for me where my wealth is when you genuinely are connected into the truth of who you are. And when you know yourself so well, like I have a, you know, I deeply know Karen, so I'm not afraid of the world out there. I don't show up, I'm not in fear, I'm not in doubt. And I don't mean that in an, in, in, in an ego way, it's an honest um, way of being in the world. And that came from a life of massive suffering and transformation. I would have had a lot of pain in my life. For me, there's that two types of pain, which I learned, which I know personally but I've also heard it again with my spiritual teacher there's two types of pain there's a pain that will really shut you down as a person or there's that pain that makes you grow and evolve and become bigger than that environment of pain and since I've come into this world as myself I've really had to go through a lot of that experience where I've evolved constantly through my pain and suffering so I sat down and I was like if I could offer anything of wisdom to anybody what would that be on so I wrote about spiritual wealth I wrote about you know when you have a great connection with your true self how you can be anywhere in the world and you can be in any situation and you're not going to get sucked into the drama of life because you're going to be able to sit in a peaceful place within yourself and you're going to be able to stay with yourself in that environment and that to me is very enriching you can't buy that you can't sometimes people feel they need to fill that void up and they do they will go off and they'll buy you know the material stuff and they believe that that will satisfy them and it doesn't that relationship with herself is the only thing that will truly satisfy us i have to and tell you that i like love your accent so much no, yes, I am, because we need to like have a conversation with it all. Absolutely. I'm, I'm interested in what she's saying. She's setting it up, and then she's going to tell us all about the bad stuff that happened in her life, like she told me at the party. Oh, absolutely, because yeah. you've gone through a lot. I wrote, a, I wrote a whole bunch of stuff down, and I read from your bio, and I also I read the chapter that you wrote in the book, um, which is fascinating, and everybody should get the book. Um, also, real quick, we should tell everybody you can follow Karen on Instagram. She's at 
the.solution.therapist on Instagram. And her Twitter is Karen Whelan with an underscore afterwards uh, for Twitter. Um, I only got – oh, that's so funny. I just saw the thing that you wrote. We were talking about marriage with the last guest, and she wrote – Oh, yeah. I won't say that. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We're going to do it. She said, I only got engaged. I found the bloody ring when he was shitting in the toilet. <laughs> she did. When we had the last guest talking about how she got engaged, she said, this is how she got engaged. <laughs> it's so true. I ruined, I actually ruined my own romantic surprise. He had moved over. My partner, Jeff, I'm going to marry, I'm marrying him in August. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations, because that's coming up. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, he moved over from Scotland. He moved his life over here to be with me. And I decided to take him to a beautiful place in Ireland called Killarney. It's so beautiful there. It's just, it's so, the land is ancient. It's gorgeous there. And I took him there. And I'm the type of woman that when I get to a hotel, I like to unpack the bags and I like to put the, everything away and settle into the space. So my gorgeous man went in to have a shit basically in the toilet after a four hour drive and while he was in the bathroom and I took out the clothes I saw a ring box now I want jolted because this ring box had been in his bedroom on a meditation altar and it was empty so in my head I went what the fuck is he doing with this empty ring box so oh, when I opened it there was my ring and I panicked Yay. I, I closed the box, I ran out of the hotel room and I rang my daughter, she's 16. And I was like, you're not gonna believe what I just did. I just found my own engagement ring. And she's like, mom, and she said, where are you? I said, I'm actually running into the shop to buy fake nails because my nails weren't even pretty. So that was my own problem. I kind of knew for the whole weekend it was gonna happen, but it was still glorious how it happened. And it was still- They're saying congrats. They're saying congratulations in the chat room. Oh, did we make you say hi to the chat room or no? Say hi to the chat room. I know you were Absolutely. in there earlier. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa, for that. Thank you for my congratulations. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, However, my wedding dress does not fit. So if any women out there have any advice about that, I it fitted before I went to America. And I've been with the book tour in, in America from Vegas to L.A. and then New York. And I've just been enjoying the experience. So um, I came home and I tried on the dress and no. Oh, is it like too tight? A little bit um, too tight? I have to literally pull a hard down over my bum, you know, to get it to the floor. <laughs> and then it, it's kind of not sitting here, but it'll be fine. It'll. Well, you all, how many weeks do you have until you get married? Four. Okay, so you have four weeks. Yeah. Don't eat. <laughs> this is the exciting part of all of it. No, it's, it's fun. The before is far more exciting than the after. The after is kind of like, melancholy you know wow it was now it's not but the before is wow what's it going to be yeah and this feel, is the story yeah. all of this is the story the dress wouldn't fit you know disaster time you know all of that this will all lead to a wonderful after story when we okay we what i really want to know is i want you to talk about what had happened to you as a young girl sure. and for those and for those people watching us that has had this happen to them how to cope with it. Because I, I am a thing about uh, ageism. I, I'm a big uh, fighter of ageism and suicide. Uh, a lot of gay people commit suicide. A lot of young people commit suicide. And a lot of rape victims commit suicide. And if you can help people out there, because we have over 5 million people all over the world 
that listen and watch our show. So I think that you can really get to some people who need it desperately to hear how to cope with the horrors. And how you got out of it. The horrors that adults can do to children or the horrors that people can do to each other. Yeah, so we're, we're shifting into a more serious energy. Yeah, I'll absolutely share. Yeah, I came into this world and, you know, my environment that I was born into, there was a lot of physical violence and sexual abuse. Um, so that continued until I was 14. And when I became eight years of age, I became conscious that this whatever it was, this was not okay, what was happening to me. It was almost like I had no memory of this happening until I was eight years of age. And that would make sense to me as a therapist because we become conscious and more conscious of ourselves. We become aware that we're in a body and we have this body and my body is separate from you and I'm a separate person from you. Before that, we're kind of meshed with the world in an innocent way. So at eight, I became very aware that what was happening to me was really not okay. Um, and I started to build up this internal resentment, but this resentment started to go in on top of myself as a person. I began to really hate myself. I blamed myself. I blamed this has happened to me because of me, because I'm wearing skirts, because I'm I'm a little, I used to love dancing, so I was very free and uninhibited in my little way of being. And when I was 14, I ran away. I had enough. I couldn't cope with the pain. I couldn't cope that every Friday would come. And every Friday I would get that call where I was called to come down. And every Friday the sexual abuse would happen to me. Um, and I hated it. I lived in terror. You know, it was like I dreaded the Friday coming. I dreaded when it would happen. I would try to find ways for it not to happen. And the only thing that saved me when I was a teenager was having a period. When I had my period, it wouldn't happen to me. So I began to always say, oh, I have my period, I have my period. It was my only way of having safety to protect defense. myself. Yeah, it was my only defense. So I did, I did a, a it's, now I can call it brave. Back then it didn't feel brave. In Ireland, the culture was you keep everything quiet and you don't talk about things um, and you know I grew up knowing that you know don't say ah and don't open your mouth and I would have been threatened as well if you say this this is what will happen um, but I pushed back past that and I walked into um, a social service building and I reported the abuse good for you I, which was terrifying but it was now I, I appreciate that inner 14 year old self back then it was I remember trembling. I remember the fear of what if they don't believe me? What if they put me away? You know, what if they think I'm the problem? I, the fear of that was so excruciating for me. And I did, I, I showed up and I, I spoke out and I said, no more, I don't want this anymore. And I, I was never aware that I had that power to say no, but I had power to do something about this because I had been very disempowered. When you're being abused, you're being objectified and the person almost owns you and owns everything about you. So there's no sense of you in it. So I had not realized that I had this power to defend myself and take care of myself. I, I did not know that at the time, but then I became aware that I have enough. This has to stop. So I did. I spoke out and 
you know, it was great chaos in my family, amongst my family. People did not know how to handle this. It was so big. People did not know what to do with it. Unfortunately for me, I felt nobody cared. I felt it didn't matter. Um, I'm a problem. I'm making everyone around me very upset. I've after brought this problem onto their laps. And unfortunately, as a result of that and the self-hate that I had, I attempted suicide when I was 15. Um, and I remember just locking myself away in the bathroom and looking in the mirror, just hating. I didn't even recognize that girl in the mirror. I hate her so much. I wanted out. I wanted out of the pain of my life. I wanted out of the suffering. And I really hated her with a lot of fury. And I remember taking the pills, painkillers, and just really fucking furiously saying to her, I hate you. I hate you. Look what you've done. And I did wake up the next morning and I was angry that I was here. And later on that day, I did collapse and then I was brought to the hospital and flushed out and kept in the hospital for a few days and released. Because I was still here, I spiraled. That self-hate was so toxic in me, I spiraled downwards. I ended up taking drugs to numb the pain. I started to become very promiscuous. I would give my body to older guys. I was homeless on the streets. I would bed hopping, you know, I dropped, I would show up at school, but I would take drugs and then I'd walk out of school. And I'm 15 years of age. And my mother thinks, you know, I'm with a friend, I'm staying at a friend's house and I go to school. And I moved in with my grandmother, um, a wonderful woman. And that was probably the first time at 15 where I felt I belonged somewhere. You know, I never felt right. I belonged. And I, she was a great woman. She was a bloody chain smoker. She would put out a cigarette and she'd light another one. <laughs> and I began to smoke cigarettes with her, dear God, when I think of it. You know, I remember getting a whitener and becoming physically sick because I kept on smoking cigarettes with this beautiful woman. And I lived with her for six months and I'd climb into her bed and I'd cuddle with her and I loved my grandmother. Um, and then she was diagnosed with lung cancer and she ah. passed uh, very quickly actually and I was back on the streets and back hating everybody and being very angry so at 16 I was done with being on the streets and I and just sleeping on people's sofas and beds and I walked into a hotel and I asked would they give me a job I wanted money <laughs> I was 16 and the woman handed me a toothbrush and she said, if you clean the skirting boards, which is the wood part along the floor against the wall, she said, if you can clean this whole floor with this toothbrush, I will consider giving you a job. I stayed on my hands and knees from about four hours. I was still there scrubbing, happy to do it, very happy to do it. And she came back and she was like, oh, you're still here. And she goes, okay, you have a job. That was brilliant. I I lived in the hotel, up in the staff rooms. Um, I had a home, I had a job, and then I moved in with a girl who worked in the hotel as well, and she was a single mom with a child. And at the weekend, we would lock the house down and about 20 people would come in, and it was hardcore drugs. It was mixing cocaine, it was mixing speed, it was taking acid, it was- Terrible. Smoking. Uh, cannabis I had no care I had no regard for who I was I just I wanted to feel like I belonged so anywhere in any environment that accepted me was good enough for me that's how I believed and that was my lack of worthiness my life transformed uh, one day in work 
there was this conference about being an au pair in America. And I had this romantic notion of going to America, working with a family who had a white picket fence. In Ireland, we assume everyone has a white picket fence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the movies. <laughs> um, and I applied for the job as an au pair, and I was offered it, but I wasn't driving, so I couldn't get it. Sorry about um, that. Now, that. now that we've lost that momentum, can you go quickly to how you became who you are presently? What, yeah. What, what, what made you go what made you decide to do what is that you do now? Yeah, wonderful question. That came about when I jumped to France at 17. I met this, the woman I worked for was extraordinary. I crashed my scooter one day, cracked my ribs and broke my finger. And she basically put her hands on me and healed me and said to me very, very truthfully, if you don't learn about forgiveness, she said, you're going to become very, very, very sick. That stayed with me for a long, long time. And I did. I went on a path of forgiveness. I sat down with my abuser when I returned home from France. I was 19. And I was a single mom with my son. And I started to have these dialogues with my abuser. For me, my abuser admitted to it, um, did not deny it when I first outed them. And we sat there and I had those conversations. Why me? Why would you do this to me? Like, why? And what transpired was I discovered in that moment, listening to the person, they shared their story. I realized this person was very broken and very damaged. It's not that it excused what happened to me, but it gave me an understanding that hurt people will hurt people. And this person is very damaged. And I became very aware of that. And in that moment, it kind of gave me a peace inside of myself. And I wanted to go off and really understand the depths of the soul of a person. So I went off and I really went into the training of psychotherapy and I went off on big trainings where I'd go off on silence retreats with myself and go into deep water fasts and, you know, people wouldn't see me for days on end. And I just needed to connect into that inner wisdom of me. I realized for me, my abuse had an impact on me, but the biggest impact that happened to me is when I stopped loving who I was. When I totally turned my back on Karen and I hated her. That's really where the biggest suffering started to come in, that relationship with myself. And the more I started to train in psychotherapy the more, and the more I sat with people and sitting with people even who you know are choosing to leave the planet, I really was able to recognize very quickly, A, the pain in their body and how to sit and hold that pain with them, but how to restore that relationship and help them to see themselves in a very different mindset in a very different way. And that's really what brought me into the work is to be in service to the hearts. So, so in a, in a uh, powerfully short way, what can you say to someone out there who was in the spot that you were in, who is now in the spot that you were in? How you, what would you tell them if they were in your office right now as a client? Yeah. If somebody came into me and was sitting there and as a client who has been suffering sexual abuse, I would tell them to see that little inner child if they're an adult. You know, I would get them to see that inner child and I would get them to hear and to say to this inner child, this is happening to you, not because of you. It's not because of you. This is happening to you. But right now we have a choice. We can work with the impact it's having inside of you and the story you're telling yourself inside of yourself because of this impact and which is causing the suffering. But it's not happening to you because of who it is that you are. Cool. 
That's wonderful. Those, those were beautiful words. Now we have to get funny again. So, Jimmy. No, I don't want to no get totally funny. No longer sexually abuse me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. I'm so gonna, I, 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 I don't, I'm not going to blame myself. I'm very, I'm very uh, familiar with what a psychotherapist is because I was actually before Ron, I was with someone who was a psychotherapist another, for 25 uh, years. Uh, uh, another guy that was um, out of his mind. By uh, oh, but like, so a workshop facilitator, I get that. What's an intuitive consultant? Yeah, so um, this is why my name is called the Solution Therapist. I was always trying to figure out, you know, what, how do I language what it is that I do in the room with people? Because in truth, I'm not doing it. Something takes me over. It's almost like, you know, and I love people like Wayne Dyer who can use wonderful words. You know, you're not the doer, you're being done. When I sit with somebody, I can't ever tell you what way the session is going to go. Like I worked with a lady the other day and, you know, she was really experiencing energy that was causing her business to fall apart and everything. But sitting with her psychically, I could see an event that triggered all of this inside of her, this inner chaos and turmoil. This happens to me. I can sit with you. I might pick up on an argument that you're holding on to inside of yourself that you had with somebody and it's leaving an imprint on you. So for me, that's the intuitive part. When I'm sitting with you, I'm so attuning to you and your consciousness and your being. I feel it in my own self. I can feel physical pain at times. I can feel heavy emotions in me at times. And I just have come to learn in a real profound way that what is mine and what is yours, you know, because I've done so much deep inner work. I have a strong sense of heart. So I know it's the process of the client, so I can really tune in. So for me, that's why I call myself the solution therapist. It's like really working with the solutions for your, your soul, for your betterment and your involvement as a person. So um, you guys, her website too is soul, S-O-U-L, solutiontherapist.com. Um, also, so I, I said in an intro that we did that besides the Women Gone Wild book, you also um, uh, have two memoirs that you wrote. Mm -hmm. So you're like a so what what are what are the memoirs like? What what are the memoirs? First of all, what are they titled? And then right. how do they differentiate? Um, the first memoir is called "Come Home to Yourself," and it is my memoir about my childhood story, which you heard bits of it. The second book is called The Journey Home. And then the third one, you know, as my son says, is it going to be called Arriving Home? Because, you know, the, the language. The second book, really, I wrote that when I was in my darkest night of the soul. I went through um, an, another, you know, metamorphosis, a, a, a crisis point. You know, this is what I was talking about when I said sometimes uh, pain can really get you to expand and wake up more and transcend the things around you. So the second book I wrote about that, and it's a book around really recognizing the programs that hold us back and how sometimes we're, we can live our lives unconsciously and we're not even aware of why we are the way we are and why we think the way we are and it can be inherited it can be passed on from our parents so the second book really captures that that it through my personal story it captures how we can be living a life you know through programming and not being consciously aware um and how to wake up really to to yourself okay yeah. hang on I'm like, yeah. thanks everybody there's uh, lots of people talking in the chat room so oh. I think the chat room has really gotten an earful, and I hope that it has helped people uh, because it's a serious thing to have been abused as a child. Mm. Um, it, it stays with you forever and ever. No matter how you try to blank it out, it comes back. I was abused as a little boy of four years old, 
and um, nothing ha happened sexually, but there was an attempt. Uh, in the projects we lived in, the janitor took me down in the basement, pulled down my pants. Uh, I ran out and went upstairs and told my mother that the chocolate man, because he was a black fella, threw water on my coolie yeah. because I had no idea what it was. And that stays with me to this day. Uh, Jane Russell, who was my best friend and buddy, always said to me that most gay men were sexually abused as children. And I argued with her and I said, not so. And then I remembered this incident that had happened and I thought, well, there's a possibility that what Jane is saying is true. Um, I don't think it made me gay. I don't know, at four years old, I don't think it was a happy experience to make me want to do it again. But this is the first time I've ever discussed it publicly. I figure if you can do it, I can do it. Thank you, Ron, for that. Um, it, it bothers me still. And Jimmy knows that. I've, I discuss it often with, with Jimmy. Um, yeah. It's a terrible thing to uh, have been frightened that way sexually. Yeah, and all emotion, you know, just to put it into context, all emotion is energy in motion, and we actually, we hold emotions in our body. So if we don't connect to the emotion that you would have embodied when you were four, I mean, when you think of a four-year-old, they don't have the language or this, the mental sophistication to really understand what's happened. So they embody the experience in a profound way and it goes deep into the unconscious and it can stay in there and up from those seedlings you know becomes uh ways of feeling and being and you know it's really to go in and meet that part to yourself i recognize you know it's not that i'm an expert on sexual abuse you know, i do have a lived experience of it but for me there's something in around going after the innocence within the other person that's something i really um, recognize from the work you know it's almost like they're wanting to take the innocence out of you um in a real way because when i look at a baby i only see pure innocence and love and joy but when i was looked at you know i was i was an object of desire and satisfaction so that innocence is not there that being of that person and the innocence of what they are is not there um, so, and that's the damage. That's the damage that is. Well, the, the, the damage went further because as an adult of around 33 or 34 years old, I had an argument with my father and I was really tough with him. And my mother got very upset. And she said to me, don't you dare ever speak to your father that way. He loves you so much. Do you know what he did to that man? I said, what man? She said, the janitor who tried to rape you. I said, no. She said, your father went across the street to the Italian club to his friends. They found the guy. They brought him under the bridge. And they said, do you want to shoot him or should we? And my father said, I will. They shot him and threw him in the river. And that's a true story. Yeah. It's a sad story, but it's a true story. Yeah. So my father was Italian. And you don't touch his children. If you do, you die. As I would also feel the same way if anybody touched my daughters that way. Yeah. Uh, these people that do this to children should be put to sleep because they have no worth to anything on the planet. If you are that deranged that you have to assault an innocent child, yeah. you should be put to death, I firmly believe, yeah. because the damage is just irreversible. I know. Actually, it's not irreversible because she reversed no, I, hers. No, you reverse <laughs> it, but you don't lose it. But you don't lose it. Yeah, you, yeah. you never lose I mean, here I am at 82 years old discussing something that happened in 1944.
I mean, yeah. it's a lot of years ago, you know, to, to remember it so well. But yeah. as we as we get older, we start to remember things that we had as children much easier than years ago. When I was 50, I didn't remember anything. Now, as I get older, I'm remembering my past more. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, you know, there's that warrior, um, that warrior energy in me. You know, I made that vow to myself. I was going to go and find myself again. I was going to go and find that part of Karen that was robbed by the experience, you know, um, because my potential of who I could have been, you know, it got shattered. I got very shattered from that experience. I, it took me a long time to put myself back together again, but I made a vow to not let this have an impact inside of me and on my life because it doesn't, that the person and the event does not deserve to have space in me anymore as a human being. I can I use the wisdom of it to inform the work, but by God, am I not gonna allow what happened to me and the person, and this is not a denial, it is what I've reclaimed. I've really reclaimed myself because I came here to have an experience in this form called Karen. God gave me my inheritance the day I showed up here when I was born. That was my inheritance from God, the divine. By God, am I not going to allow another physical human being take that inheritance from me anymore? And that was a vow I made to myself. You know, and that saw me go off and do many healing modalities, ayahuasca, meditations. You know, it saw me go in and really cleanse my soul, my soul self of it. So I could say yes to me more, Jimmy and Ron. You know, I have to say yes to Karen. My son said it to me before. You know, you're here to live your life, to be yourself and live it to your fullest and fullness. He said, that's so cool. You don't need to self-permission. I lived a life looking for permission from everyone else to live not anymore you know and 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 that's where i that is the heart of me i don't live my life for anyone only for me i could be gone tomorrow who knows and i really want to just say yes to everything and really have a richness of experiences and i know how powerful i am if this happened to me i am powerful enough to heal it in me as well and that was absolutely now yeah. that i like everybody's writing about how strong you are and everybody knows everybody who who watches our show knows how strong Ron is. Like you guys are yeah, both very well, strong individuals. Well, you know, growing up as a as a gay boy, you take a lot of abuse. You have to be a fighter. My yeah. father taught. My father was a very tough man. My an extremely important man and an extremely tough man. And my father taught me uh, never to take shit from anybody. He used to say to me all the time, "Never bend down to any man unless to pick him up because he has he's ill." And I believe that. And I'm tough. I've had to be tough all my life. Uh, unfortunately, society is not understanding always of other people. Back in the early 1950s, gay was considered mentally ill. And anyone, and anyone that was effeminate or a faggot, as they used to say, got a beating, was thrown out of the crowd, was never in the group, was never liked. So you had to uh, become an actor. Maybe that's why I'm such a good actor today, because at a very young age, I had to act to camouflage my femininity, to hide my homosexuality, to have girlfriends and eventually a wife and two children to want to be a part of society as we know it. Today, society is built of many different kinds of people. So you don't have to hide anymore. There's no such thing as get married and fool everybody. Those days are gone. 
I probably would have had an easier go of it if I were four years old today. But back then it was kind of primitive and it was horrifying because back then no one, as you said, spoke of it. So you went through life never discussing it. This is the first time I've ever brought that out, especially publicly. And I feel better. Jimmy, Ron, I just want to say to that, you know, firstly, you know, thank you and how beautiful it is to sit with the two E, you know, and, and really tap into something so real. This is what makes uh, human connections and conversations transformative and impactful. It's the real story. It's the real dialogue. It's the realness. For me, you know, right now, it's like I see the same thing in society. There is a consciousness where everyone is obsessed with fucking oppressing and controlling the other person and what they do. You know, it's it's just translating itself out there at the moment. I mean, look at the vote that happened there recently in America for women, you know, again, you know, again, and control on what a woman can do with her own body. We are so society has become so obsessed with control. Control. Yes. You know, my grandmother always used to say, I'd come in and I want to tell on someone, and she would say, Mind your own fucking business. The best. No, I think she's right, though. Also, we want to give a quick shout out Denise Flynn. I think she's someone you work with, and she's in the um, chat room. She's been there a long time, but we I didn't want to interrupt the conversation. So say hi to Denise, everybody. Welcome, Denise. Hey. Well, I, hope that you, I hope that you and I, with our confessions, uh, <laughs> help somebody out there and please don't hurt yourself. Don't harm yourself. Don't punish yourself. What has been done to you was done without your consent, without your willingness and without your wanting. The the, the perpetrator is the the creature, the, the, the monster, the evil one, the sick one, the mentally ill one, probably who has been abused all of he or she, their lives. Uh, they say that abusers have been abused. Thank God I've never abused my children or any young person. You don't uh, abuse anybody. I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not in me, so I don't know how true it is that an abuser, an abused is an abuser. Yeah, hmm? it's important. Like, for me, that was my conscious thing was when I gave birth. I was 19 when I had my son. I, His dad was French, and I came home to have Aaron, and his dad wrote me three weeks before I gave birth to say, I hope your family will take care of you. I am left abandoned with a big belly. And my idea of living in France was gone, taken from me in that moment. But when Aaron came into this world, I he awoke in me my redemptive heart, giving birth to that child did. And in that moment, I, I realized I'm gonna make sure that he doesn't inherit any of what I went through on this planet. And I understand that as a psychotherapist, we call it the intergenerational work where you heal the patterns that have been passed on through the family that are, you know, negative patterns, that are abusive patterns, and you heal the trauma in the now, you heal it so that your own generational line never has to take that on. So as a mother, I feel very proud that I've done this deep work on behalf of my beautiful children. What what does your son do? Aaron, he's twenty. He's twenty-four. He's turning twenty-five. Aaron would have done film acting in Dublin. He always wanted to go into acting, which I was shocked at the time because he's such a profound, beautiful, quite unassuming, wonderful young boy. So when he said acting, I was like, I didn't know you could act or you had that flavor for acting. And he did. He went. He went off and he found his passion. 
Then he went to India um, to work in an orphanage out in India and he loved working with the kids. And he came back when COVID happened. So at the moment he's working in the community in an arts center, um, helping out yeah, with the arts people. I'd like to say one thing about my situation. My parents took me to the hospital to have me examined. There was no penetration. There was no sign of any kind of sexual assault. It was simply what I said. I was a smart enough kid at four to sense it was wrong and I was frightened and I ran out of the cellar below the projects. You know, you know what projects are. There are multiple buildings where poor people live. Um, so maybe yeah. that's why I never had a desire to abuse a child. God forbid I'd kill myself if ever I did, but I don't. No, you don't. You don't. No, I, 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 no. I don't even abuse my husband. He wishes I would. <laughs> so we have one minute left, you guys. Also, there's someone named Hillary. They, that Catherine wrote Hillary's there, too. So say hi to Hillary. You guys. This is Karen Whelan, you guys. She's the Solution Therapist. Her website is Solution, S-O-U-L. So soul, like solution, but soul. Solutiontherapist.com. You can follow her on Instagram. It's at the.solution.therapist. Um, and then her uh, Twitter is Karen Whelan underscore. Follow her. Um, get the book. Um, the book is Women Gone Wild. She's uh, page 83, the Wealth Edition, the Feminine Guide to Fearless Living. We want to congratulate you on all your success and, and how you've, you've really made a, such a wonderful life for yourself and your family. We wish you the best on your wedding that's coming up. Yes, and thank you for coming on our show. And thank you for coming on the show. And giving us a very different show than we always have. This was a yeah. very, very serious show, a very important show. And I really hope that you have helped people out there who are or were in your situation. Absolutely. Thank you, my love. You're sweetie. And I hope we meet again. Yes, because we and have a wonderful wedding and a wonderful married life. We'll stay in touch on Instagram anyway. Yeah. We're like always messages. Right. Love you. Thank you so much. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Love you. Love you. All right, everybody. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning bye. in, everybody. Chat room. Thank you hey. so much. We had a great time. Good and we'll show. see you guys next week, everybody. See ya. Bye bye. Bye bye. In the mix, yeah, we in the mix. It's another episode. Here we go, the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell. Interviewing the hottest newest and truest of today's celebrities. Make sure to subscribe so you can get notified weekly. Jimmy Star, he's the king of cool. Ron Russell, he's a gorgeous dude. Chat room is live and you would be a fool not to vibe with us at the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell. So come watch it live on W4CY Radio. Miss some past episodes? Download on iTunes. The Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell. It's the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell. Russell.